Wilson Phillips, with their mega-hit Hold, is dominating the airwaves. Total Recall, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, was number one at the box office. Never seen it. What? And kids are going bananas for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures. Today, we're going back to June 5th, 1990. Don't think I'm not going to talk about the Total Recall <laughs> thing, but hey, y'all. Welcome to the Wayback Recap, a podcast that obsessively explores all things past, from our favorites in TV and film, to bonkers fruit candy. Candy that on the outside was like a chewy fruity, but then on the inside, there was even more fruit. The commercials always had a giant fruit crashing through the ceiling, and old people were like laughing and being destroyed by the fruit at the same time. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, they they were just like big old fruits. Like I remember this commercial 100 million percent. I can't remember if I ever had the bonkers candy, I but I sure remember I the commercial. I so also I'm like, remember the commercial. Did I not have it? It kind of looks like high chew to me. Oh, I love high chew. I do too. Banana it's not about that though. Favorite. Really? Yeah. This is wild. <laughs> also, you never watching Total Recall is just insane. I do think that there is this clump of those type of movies that I just skipped right over as a youth. Like I've never seen Rambo. I've what? never seen Total Recall. I haven't seen like any of those like er, like the Command. Like I don't know. Okay, we will be watching this. <laughs> I skipped straight to uh, family friendly Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, like the first time I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger was T two, and that's by far the only one. Of, like we saw T two a lot. Yeah, everybody but did. Uh, then you were I alive just, in America right, in the nineties, right? But then I was more like a kindergarten cop. Um, <laughs> twins loved Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh yeah, twins. twins is great. Um, but I didn't really see a lot of those like shoot, like I don't know those action movies. Wow. Sorry, I don't I'm... even think I've seen Rocky. Like I haven't seen a bunch of those Sylvester Stallone movies. Nope. Okay, so that will be what we'll be doing <laughs> for the next three months on this podcast. Perfect. Perfect. I'm, I'm Brandon and I'm Patricia, and today we are talking. Tales from the Crypt. I'm already scared. Yeah, really? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I first before we begin, I want to thank my friend Jonathan, uh, who helped me come up with this idea. We had just been talking about it like through text. Love it. Uh, thank you, how, Jonathan. Yeah, how both of us love Tales from the Crypt growing up. Yep. I appreciated Tales from the Crypt because when the terrifying entrance started, I knew to change the channel. <laughs> 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 because I would cry and be scared. So I know you had uh, cable yeah. in the 90s, yeah. HBO specifically, because yeah. both of us were HBO kids. Yeah, loved it. We talk about all the movies we watched on HBO. HBO should basically be sponsoring this podcast, honestly. Seriously. Yeah. And you also should probably be paying a lot of my therapy bills, but that's besides <laughs> the point. I, <laughs> I'd love to talk about my love for real sex and all the other stuff that they had oh, on there. Oh, no. After Hours, HBO. I'm here Me for too, it. Bro. Hello, darling. Yes. But that's why it was always like, when you got the before HBO... In the before times. Before times, yes. When a show started, HBO would give you a warning about what was going to be in that show. So when you got like the R, nudity, but when you got that warning, I was like, yes. <laughs> then it would be the fucking Tales in the Crypt. I'm like, boring. <laughs> this is not what I wanted to see. What? Okay. I was there for Taxi Cab Confessions. Me too, bro. Taxi not cab- Tales. Those are very different. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like now at this rough age of 35, I probably would have been a taxi cab confession at some point in my life. Yeah, for sure. Drunkenly just mm-hmm. revealing mm-hmm. dark you, secrets. Yeah, frankly, you're lucky that show doesn't really exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk about shows that we are talking about. <laughs> Was that a bad transition? No, that's perfect. Okay. I'm really good at this. Call me Wolfie Goldberg. Professional um, podcaster. <laughs> 
So if you're a horror head like me, or if you had cable and no parental supervision in the late 80s and early 90s, like Patricia and myself. What's up? You know what Tales from the Crypt is about. Yeah, you do. It's a horror anthology series that ran for seven years from June 89 to July 96. It was hosted by a character, the Crypt Keeper. Scared the living piss out of me. Yeah, I think I he's so scared. probably the most famous character from that show because he's the only recurring character right. from the show. Right. But we'll get into it a little later about how huge <laughs> he actually became, like an actual star. Literally. The show itself was really, really popular, right? Yes, it was. You didn't really watch it? I was just scared. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I, I, like, I knew it was good. Like, my brother would watch it. My big brother would watch it. Sometimes even my mom would watch it. Wow, really? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't picture Sue, like, being into something like... Sue does not like horror movies or things, but she loves sci-fi. Okay. So if there was, like, a sci-fi-ish episode... You, that would pique Sue's interest. Okay, so that's really interesting you say that because um, I'm going to get a little bit into the history of how things were made. Tales from the Crypt was actually a comic book series that started in like the right, 50s. Right, Which is really interesting. Uh, that comic book series, just like a little fun factoid, Tales from the Crypt, the comic book series, plagiarized Ray Bradbury a lot. Wow. Yeah. How about that? So acclaimed author, Ray Bradbury, they took a lot of his short stories and other things and included them in the episodes. And obviously he like found out and he was like, yo, run me my checks. You owe me royalties. Yeah. The dude who was uh, running the comic book at the time, I think it was William Gaines, who I'll talk about a little bit in more depth later okay. was like, took the opportunity to be like, Oh, I've been trying to reach out to you. Love it. Right. Love that. And so then worked a business deal with Ray Bradbury to use his stories in Tales oh from the Crypt. Oh my God, Ray, I'm so glad you returned my message. I have been <laughs> trying to, you need to fire your secretary. <laughs> I've been trying to get a hold of you for weeks. Weeks. I got this check for you. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's yeah. what he did. And smart. smart, just turned it on its head. He was like, oh, I'm not going to a lawsuit. But that's how they got a lot of their stories. As well as a lot of original content as mm -hmm. well. But there was also a sci-fi spinoff for the TV series later on in life called Perversions of Science. Oh. It's very short-lived. But Sue probably would have liked it. Dynamic name. Yeah. It was hosted by a sexy lady robot. Ooh. That might have lost Sue. But <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> I know Sue's also a Trekkie. She's a huge Trekkie. Yeah. So to take it back, Tales from the Crypt was originally a comic book series, as I was saying. It was a publisher called entertaining comics or better known as ec, EC comics. comics yeah that actually started tales from the crypt this is a long drawn out history that I'm i went sure. into because yeah. i just went to a rabbit hole of this i, know I was I actually going to go into a whole different direction with this but i really thought the story about how entertaining comics became entertaining comics as well as tales from the crypt became tales from the crypt is very interesting i think so too so strap in with me love it i'm in i'm i'm so excited to learn oh thank you <laughs> i'm a teacher infotainment <laughs> <laughs> however many people don't know that tales from the crypt actually started as a comic book series before it was a beloved tv series on hbo right even though I know in the opening, like when the Crypt Keeper would start to read the episode, he would read it from the comic. Yeah. A lot of these stories were actually based off, again, like I was talking I about Ray it. Bradbury earlier. A lot of the stories were based off of the original comics themselves. So That's they had awesome. a lot of material to work on. That's awesome. Yeah. Entertaining Comics, better known as EC Comics, was the publisher for Tales from the Crypt. It was created by MC Gaines, who was a salesman at first, but then... With one of his clients, he came up with the idea to take comic strips mm -hmm. and put them in kind of like a pamphlet. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So he created the first comic book, essentially. That's 
amazing. And I want to reiterate, comic book. Comic strips had been around for a really long time, but he created what we kind of know now as a comic book. These were, however, like really big, kind of like tabloid size. Okay. 65 pages, so kind of a little bit different. But I'll get into that a little bit more. Okay. So with these new quote-unquote comic books, he's given them away for, for free for clients. That's how you do that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it was a huge success. Yeah. MC Gaines is a businessman. Love salesman it. by heart, you know. He's thinking about how can I make some more money? People like in the past who had who were like traveling salesmen, <laughs> that's a very hard job. Like I couldn't do that job. So he's thinking about how he can make more money off this shit, right? Of course, yeah. Absolutely. He's so an American capitalist. He's oh, like yeah. this is a hit. I'm giving away for free. Not anymore. Time to make some fucking money. He decides to sell them for 10 cents. Love it. People are still buying them like crazy. Yeah. MC Gaines is like, oh man, I am rich by 1944 <laughs> standards. Really? Not 1944, but like he was, this is up In the there 30s, sometimes. he's making some money. In a time when people aren't making money, because 1930, that's the Great Depression. Yeah. Around that time, so, everything's kind of shite. And I mean, if you're still making is. money, way to go. <laughs> Gaines decided to sell the comic books for 10 cents. He made a lot of money off of that. People really loved smart. it. Yep. Very smart. He then decided to use that money to create all American comics, which begat us The Flash, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman. It also gave us the first superhero team, the Justice Society of America. That's right. Which is wild to me. This is all, this is the beginning of DC Comics. Yes. Yeah. Because he sold his fucking shares. Ah. Yes. And then that company formed DC Comics. Yeah. So there you go. Which That's is, so interesting. He was a smart businessman really because smart. after he sold, so this was a good gift for him because this is also during like World War II. Yep. So like paper was really in high demand. So yep. they had a huge stock of paper with this company. Of course. Worth wow. tons of money. Girl, he sold it, I think, in 1944 to the company. So it then became DC Comics. Uh-huh. And then the fo- the following year, the war ended. Right. So all that paper oh. was worthless, essentially. And he had sold. He had sold. Oh he, shit! He made out big. What like it was a just smart guy. Holy shit! I mean, it seems like he's a smart guy. I don't know him personally, no, but I mean, he's, probably, had he's probably very evil. lucky. Who knows? Yeah, right. He's probably <laughs> is Montgomery Burns. <laughs> yeah, or Lex Luthor in this fucking case. <laughs> but like, it, I have to rec- as a fellow capitalist, I'm like, wow, way to go. <laughs> Buy low, sell high. Truly and honestly. Mm-hmm. So again, I told you that he was the creator of EC Comics. Yes. Uh, entertaining comics. Sure. It didn't start off that. It started mm-hmm. off as educational comics. Well. Uh, further below. No offense. It was stories about the Bible. I'm so bored already. Yeah. Oh and didn't do too well, as no, you see. No, no one cares about that. So that struggled for a while until a tragedy actually happened. Stop. Yeah. Um, MC Gaines drowned <gasps> when a speedboat hit his craft in Lake Placid, which is very, to me, very similar to what happened in the movie Sleepaway Camp. Wow. It's like the beginning of Sleepaway Camp where a speedboat hits people on a lake. I feel like in New York. Lake Placid is in New York, right? This is also the theory, the movie Lake Placid, where there's a giant <laughs> alligator or crocodile in the ocean. So I'm going to go with the narrative that he did not die in an accident. He was eaten by the giant sea creature that lives in Lake Placid. The Betty White feed, yeah, fed Yeah, the Betty White kept feeding. Yeah, R.I.P. Betty. I believe this theory, and I'm going to spread it. Yeah, this is the narrative that I'm going with from here on out. You're welcome to infer your own <laughs> like things here, guys. So after he passed, 
He had a son named William, who was 25 at the time, Air Force veteran, just came home from the war. Wow. Who wasn't really even like cool with his dad and was actually kind of going through it because he, one, just came back from the war. Which was not hard. And went through a divorce. Whoa. 25 years old. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. A lot of living that young man's done. A lot of living. So for timeline, just so, just let me get this right. So by the time he died in 1947, yes. he had already sold and made his money yes. off of DC Comics. However, yes, yes, but... It, because of how poorly educational comics, the Bible stories and stuff were doing, he was oh, losing a lot of money. He was, they were going okay. into debt. Got it. Okay. So then William, his son, inherited this kind of like, quote unquote, failing venture because his dad had kind of run into the ground. His dad had died. He's just going through a divorce. Came back from war. Terrible, terrible time that William is having. Yeah. He probably would have initially, if it wasn't for everything that was going on, probably would have just let the comic book going to the ground yeah. you know what i mean yeah it was more but, work than it was worth yeah but i think because he was going through that divorce because his dad's tragic death oh, he probably felt like he had to like kind of yeah. prove it to himself to do yeah. that he had nothing else you know what i mean yeah. i hate being that bleak but that's what it kind of seemed like to rough. me that's rough william it is really great to note that william actually was kind of the catalyst to take it in a whole different direction oh cool so he had studied to basically be a teacher mm -hmm. Um, he had no like connection <laughs> to comics, had no idea what he sure. was doing. So he teamed up with um, prolific artist Al Feldstein. Oh. Yeah, who knew a little bit more about the comic business. Sure. And so they were kind of relied on each other, essentially. Feldstein got a lot more like freedom to kind of like explore in his art because William didn't really give a fuck. Like, I don't, I don't care what we do here. Yeah. I'm just trying to make some money. And Felstein gave him a lot of information just about the business. And they actually became really good friends. Oh, that makes my heart grow two sizes. Yeah. They I kind love of, that. Right, though? Like, he was like, dude, I have no fucking clue what no we're idea. doing here. I have this stuff. Do you know how to use it? <laughs> Let's use it. <laughs> and that, I, in that sense, I feel like that's a really kind of humble person to, like, get to that point where he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Anytime I'm relying on you. a person is confident enough in themselves to ask for help, I am giving that person all the snaps in the world. As the two became really good friends, they kind of bonded over their shared love for things that were kind of like spooky and you scary. Know, I love that. These titles kind of reflected on what soldiers who were returning home from war oh, were experiencing. Sure. Yeah, right? Kind of dark. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just a lot more sex, violence, and gore in this, which, uh, you know, That's I mean. much more like real life. Truly and honestly, they actually started three different horror titles around the same time. The Vault of Horror, The Haunt of Fear, and of course, Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, I think as far as like marketing goes, Tales from the Crypt is the best one, but I also like The Vault of Horror. Yeah, man. Like, there's actually a movie called The Vault of Horror from the 70s that's based off that, and oh, there's cool. also a 70s version of Tales from the Crypt that is a movie, but it isn't necessarily HBO's thing, so gotcha. I'm not going to... But sure. they do use the comic books for reference for cool. the stories in that. Dope. So with the idea to go more in the direction of horror, they decided they wanted to appeal to a little bit larger of our audience. They were trying to figure out what the best way to kind of do that would be. So they decided for each of those different comic books, they needed hosts oh. to kind of like get the story going and kind of almost tell like a tale of morality about the story. Yeah, to have like a, a an inherent narrator. All the hosts were kind of in the same vein. They kind of had like those punny quips and stuff sure. like the uh, Tales from the Crypt Trip Keeper is known for, but that's not exactly how they started off. They were a little bit more menacing in sense. Yeah. So for each of the different series, they all had different hosts. Mm -hmm. The Vault Keeper was the host of the Vault of Horrors. I mean, Vault Keeper's pretty good. Yeah. The Haunt of Fear was hosted by the Old Witch. I, don't, I find that whole section less dynamic. Wow. Really? First of all, Old Witch is like, this is Old Witch. Like, that's not very, <laughs> like, 
and the haunt of fear are we saying that fear itself is inherently haunted by itself like that's make i don't know i, I like, like where you're going I with like this i didn't put that fear. much thought into it but <laughs> those are key words that i do like mm-hmm. um and then the of course tales from crypt was hosted by the crypt keeper the best so with the comic book series the crypt keeper was kind of like a ghoulish man he was more of a human he wasn't like a, a corpse like the oh, tv okay. series is we'll try to find some good images and make yeah sure it's, it's really interesting post. he kind of had like stringy hair and stuff like that but he eventually evolved into something else for the hbo series his personality was actually different as well like i was saying earlier they were a little bit more menacing in the beginning of the series and mm-hmm. as it kind of went on with the comic books each of the characters became a little bit more comedy driven and didn't take themselves too seriously good call yeah right yeah like i feel like if you just kept going with like the straight up scare of it all after a while it gets kind of tiring like eventually in the comic book series the crypt keeper was reading letters and making fun of the people who wrote in yeah right (laughs) that's great way to engage with people really good way to engage so the comic books were huge right They really kind of showcased a lot of the horror, crime, just kind of like the nitty gritty of what life is Absolutely. about. Absolutely. And their biggest audience is children. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. People really paid attention to it, so much so that parents and even like politicians and stuff were leading crusades to get rid of comics. They were like comics are causing juvenile delinquency. Yes, they are causing I people. I remember this. Yes, yes, yes. It's wild, it dude. Is, people are believing like Mad Magazine and shit for all kinds of stuff. Religious organizations and groups of uh, concerned citizens. Quote, unquote, quote, they unquote. all came together and then they actually had like Senate hold trials. Jesus. Is this like in the 50s? Yes, dude. Yeah. It's weird. It is so weird. I mean, I shouldn't say that. That's just like a product of the time, but I could not imagine that happening. Well, maybe it is happening now. Right. Gaines initially was like, fuck yeah, any press is good press. Exactly. But once he got called in by that Senate subcommittee, he was like, yeah, this is too much. I can't handle yeah, this. Yeah, like once you're being threatened with jail time by senators, you're kind of like, uh, I care less about this comic than yeah. staying out of jail. Truly and honestly. And then like the rest of the comics that were out there decided to create kind of like a self-regulation body after the behest of the Senate subcommittee. They called themselves the Comic Book Code. I hate it already. Yeah, and they pretty much got rid of all like the horror and crime, all that stuff, like completely wiped That's it out. Lame. You were saying Mad Magazine earlier. It hadn't actually come out yet. Right. I wasn't getting ahead of myself. No, no, you're doing great because William Gaines actually created. It was part of the team who created Mad Magazine. Stop it. Yeah, dude. So I did not know that. After all this hubbub with horror comedy, or excuse me, horror and crime comics Mm -hmm. he was like i'm getting out of that kind of get out of the business and then went on the way to publish mad magazine wow 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 so after the fall essentially of entertaining comics that was the end of tales from the crypt in the comic book form but as any good horror fan knows the dead doesn't stay dead can't keep a good man down no ma'am the comics were super influential on horror greats that we know today. Stephen King, George Romero, you could see it all over there. Creep Show from the 80s. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, it's a horror yeah, anthology. Yeah, yeah, it's one of, of my favorites. It's, it's a great. TV series now good. on um, Shudder. Check it out. Shudder, please sponsor us. <laughs> please, please. But anyways, that was kind of like 
because of their love for Tales from the Crypt. For like an easy comics. Yes, no, absolutely. Simpsons creators would also talk about how influenced they were by easy comics. That's wild. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. Well, we, if you remember from our Treehouse of Horror episode, like that is where they took a bunch of their ideas. That is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. For That is wild. I must have been too high during that episode. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Guys, we learn new things every week. I mean, everybody <laughs> knows that when you learn a new thing, you push the old thing out. That's a that's a <laughs> Kelly Bundy reference from an episode of Married with Children. I love Thank it. You check out Married with Children. <laughs> Other fans of the series included Joel Silver, who you may know from Die Hard fame, Hi. as well as Lethal Weapon. Yep. He's actually incremental. Nope. <laughs> instrumental. There it is. <laughs> He's actually instrumental in Tales from the Crypt coming about. Really? Yeah, so on the set of Lethal Weapon, he and director Richard Donner, who directed The Goonies. Superman. Yeah, Superman. Uh, I totally forgot he directed Superman. Yeah. They began talking about kind of like Silver's failed attempts at trying to make adaptations of Tales from the Crypt into feature films, as well as talking about like The Twilight Zone and Creepshow and how they didn't do particularly too well but Donner was like, nah, man, I really, really want to do it. And it was kind of in the back of their minds to work on it. It didn't really come into fruition until Robert Zemeckis. Good old Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, bro. Jumped on board. Zemeckis was on set with Joel Silver during the making of 1988 Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's one of my top five favorite movies. Yeah, they, he brought it up and he's like, soul, dude, let's do this. Zemeckis loves horror too, though. Like Robert Zemeckis, he did Death Becomes Her, which That's definitely right. could have been a uh, issue of Tales from the Crypt. Actually, it's funny you say that. It was almost how about it? Yeah, it's almost unofficially like a Tales from the Crypt episode. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then Zemeckis also did uh, What Lies Beneath. And the, you love that movie. Sure do. I'm you gonna, talk about that. I'm bring up every episode now. <laughs> I'm like horror great. What Lies Beneath? <laughs> <laughs> you love that movie. I don't. I just think it's good. Death Becomes Her is much more my favorite over What Lies Beneath. Death Becomes Her is great. Once Zemeckis was on board, it was kind of like greenlit from there by HBO to kind of work on it. These are some big Hollywood names. I was just going to say, like, we're talking. So we've said Robert Zemeckis. Yes. We've said Richard Donner. Yes. We've said Joel Joel Silver. Silver. Yeah. These are huge directors. Like in the late 80s, these are humongous directors. Man, that's what HBO was like. Yes, do it. Um, HBO was a fledgling network yeah. around this time yeah. you know what i mean so they yeah. were just like yeah here's money and boy did they throw money at stuff no kidding that was kind of the biggest draw for everyone involved in like tales from the crypt from the executive producers to the guest stars to directors everything like that we're talking hbo right there's nudity there's profanity right. can there's gore you, you can do whatever yeah. you want and you got a budget most of the episodes were like a million dollars in budget so that's so interesting because i think if we're going back to like the 90s, the amount of quote unquote original content coming out of HBO, this is brand kind of brand new turf. Oh, yeah. Like HBO had been doing like comedy specials and stuff, but a sitcom or a drama, a TV show that is just being premiered on HBO, that's new territory. Absolutely. Because there's like Tales from the Crypt and then maybe like the Larry Sanders show. Was Dream On on HBO? I'm not I sure. remember Dream On being on HBO, but maybe I'm wrong. You, I am not sure. With the series in production, they knew this. the premise was going to be simple. They were going to keep it 
very similar to the comic book series as an anthology series. I think anthology series are so smart. Yeah. I think they're so much easier to do. Like everything is standalone. Oh yeah. So like if the if there's a person on crew who doesn't work out, you don't have them for the whole show. You can just fire the fuck out. Like you don't have to ever work with them again. <laughs> like it's a whole new episode next episode. Truly and honestly. I think that's cool. And they were actually only going to do one story per episode. Sure. So that gave them a lot of stuff to work with. Yep. It was going to be hosted by the Crypt Keeper, like in the comic book series, mm -hmm. but with an HBO spin. <laughs> they wanted him to kind of like introduce the story to the viewers, tell them what to kind of expect, but it was always going to be kind of heavy laden with those puns that the Crypt Keeper was kind I of known it. for. Yeah. I look at it as like kind of corny dad jokes, but at the same time, I absolutely love them. Exactly. Yes, they're punny. Yeah. <laughs> the Crypt Keeper was also going to kind of tie everything together in terms of the story. He's going to introduce it. He's going to tell you that this is what we're looking at. These are our characters. And then at the end of the episode, he's going to be like, man, wasn't that crazy, essentially. You know what I mean? I love it, yeah. But he's also going to throw in some jokes about it. Absolutely. It's going to be tons of gore, tons of sex, tons of violence. Always, yep. always, always with this stuff. Check, check, check. That budget that we were talking about with the HBO money was also seen in the Crypt Keeper's making. For sure. HBO decided to use a puppet to play the Crypt Keeper. I think that was the smartest thing to do. They, Yeah, truly and honestly. That was so smart. However, it was kind of difficult at times. They kind of contacted, well, they didn't kind of contact. They hired Kevin Yeager, who's a famed kind of special effects master, cool. if you will, who created the Freddy Krueger makeup. Cool. He created the Chucky cool. doll. So he knows his horror yes, stuff, right? Does. So he created the Crypt Keeper. He decided that it was going to be a puppet. It actually took six people to puppeteer yeah. the Crypt Keeper. That doesn't shock me. Four people for the face and two people for like his various body parts. Yep. When you look at the picture of the Crypt Keeper, I want you to stare deep into his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to decline. And no, you're going to do it. Uh, because Kevin Yeager, who created Chucky, actually used the eyes from the Chucky doll in the making of Tales from a Crypt. So I believe it. Yeah, they're the exact percent. same eyes. Patricia's Googling it right now. I am, because I can't help myself. I hate it. Oh, my God. Why is this happening to me? The Crypt Keeper is so terrifying. But those are definitely the same eyes, yeah. Right? They look like Chucky's eyes. After getting the puppet together, they then decided to cast the voice of who the Crypt Keeper was going to be. They held many, many audition for it. I bet they did. But one of the people that they auditioned first, who did really well and left an impression on them, from the very first audition he did was John Casser, who is the voice of the Crypt Keeper. Oh, great. He was up against people like Michael Winslow. Yeah. Do you know who that is? I don't know. He's from Police Academy. He's the dude who does all the... I do know. He yeah. does all the sound effects. He does. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite characters from Police Academy, and we'll do an entire month series based on the uh, Police Academy We have movies. a Police Academy connection coming later. Oh, we do. Okay. Anyways. So John Casser got the audition and impressed everyone involved. He said that he based his voice off alfred hitchcock oh as well as his laugh off margaret hamilton better known as the wicked witch of the west i definitely hear the wicked witch of the west in there yeah for sure his whole thing with like alfred hitchcock i'm a hitchcock why am i saying that <laughs> the whole thing with alfred hitchcock is he's just kind of like doing kind of those punny things introductory that's real like, oh like kinda... like hitchcock did on the hitchcock show yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Question, had John is John Cassier someone I would know from anything else? I think he's done a lot of voiceover work. Yeah, because his name sounds very familiar. We can look it up, sorry. I didn't look at his other work. I know that he's done a lot with the Crypt Keeper. 
This dude's talented. Yeah, he's in a lot. He does Rick a lot of like background voices, which is cool. I mean, that's that needs work. work. Yeah, everybody does it. Like he's a minion, Kung Fu Panda. I mean, he's got credits, man. Yeah, credits and credits and credits and credits. Before I get too much into Tales from a Crypt anymore, I think we should jump into the episode and talk about that. Great. Let's watch some TV. Let's watch some TV. So the episode that we're watching today is called The Ventriloquist Dummy, Season 2, Episode 10. I'm already terrified. Yeah. I gotta be about ventriloquists, Brandon. Bro, you know I'm terrified it's of like, dummies. It's like, let's find the spookiest thing to make Patricia the most upset. And you're like, ventriloquist. Man, I, you know I hate dummies. You did this on purpose. My dad once scared us as a kid. We were like watching horror movies at our house when we were little. I think there was a shit ton of kids over there. All my <laughs> siblings, a couple cousins. And my dad, for some reason, like, tapped the back window holding his old ventriloquist dummy no! that he had as a kid that was like 50s looking and scary i don't know it scared the shit out of all of us it was hilarious but it was just like terrifying <laughs> at the time i didn't even know my dad had one i just kind of weird i'm very concerned yeah me you and me both sis so this episode is directed by richard donner richard donner that's huge like richard donner's a huge director i agree man that's i'm wild. telling you the goonies you have my love from there Forever. that is yeah Goonies never say die <laughs> the theme is written by danny elfman I'll like that danny music elfman, the music man. you're terrified is written by danny elfman yeah, it's iconic it of course it is it's iconic i can't help it like when i hear that music i instantly know what the hell i'm watching no one on earth had a better 10 years than fucking <laughs> Danny Elfman between 1987 and 1997. Like, no one on earth has had a better 10 years. This particular episode's music is by Miles Goodman. I think this is very important because the music in Tales from Crypt is just phenomenal. I it's, agree. It really sets the mood for the show and makes it really kind of creepy and weird. I love everything from the very beginning when you get that zoom in to the house, the iconic kind of like opening credit mm -hmm. scene, to the music that's going on throughout this entire episode. Our last two episodes were about The Shining, where we said, again, the music is so important. I think music is so important when we're talking about scary things. Oh, absolutely. Or the lack of music, yeah, too, sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Like, it just, it gets you right into the headspace. Um, this episode is starring both the phenomenal, well-known actor, Bobcat Goldthwait, and some lesser-known actor named Don Rickles. No, I'm just joking. That is blasphemous, and I'm only kidding. Patricia's over here giggling. I was giggling. Uh, because she's going to give us a little bit of information about both of the lead actors in this episode. Right. So Bobcat Goldthwait, Goldthwait which is so hard for me to say, was born Robert Francis nice. Goldthwait uh, in Syracuse, New York. And he knew he wanted to be a stand-up comedian right away. Like, in elementary school, he would be on the playground yucking it up with his friends like making the whole I get playground that. laugh i get that yeah so he always knew what he wanted to do he had a comedy buddy early on called tom kenny and tom tom was tomcat and so bob became bobcat okay so that's where bobcat comes from that's hilarious and very nice i like that <laughs> it for those of us who don't know who bobcat actually is he has a very iconic voice he's actually in the police academy movies as well he is kind of known his trademark it's his high-pitched, raspy voice. Yeah, I love it. It is nails on a chalkboard, man. So Bobcat's stand-up career was successful all through the 80s. Also throughout the 80s, he made movies like Brandon mentioned. Yeah. He was in The Police Academy. He was in One Crazy Summer. He was in my personal favorite, Scrooge. He was. Yes. yes, he is. 
Um, in the 90s, Bobcat really found his stride when he went on tour with Nirvana. What? He was Nirvana's opening act because uh, Kurt Cobain loved Bobcat Goldthwait's like, comedy. That is wild. And they and became a... like great friends. Wow. In the late 90s and 2000s, Bobcat got his real calling, which was voice work. I thought we were getting there. Thank you, because I know what you're about to say. One of my favorite movies of all time, bro. Go ahead. Say it. So he is, of course, in Disney's Hercules. Yes, he is. Great, undervalued Disney film. Love Hercules. But he was in every cartoon you can think of. Yeah. I mean, he was in Capital Critters. He was on the Lilo and Stitch show. Oh, my God. He, he was, was on Lilo the Tick. Like, Bobcat was on every cartoon you've ever wanted to see. Bobcat's done it. I mean, his voice is just like... Really unique. You know really Bobcat's unique. voice. Really unique. Uh, something I learned while doing this is that Bobcat has also directed several things. Whoa. Including films. Wow. Most notably, World's Greatest Dad, starring his old and dear friend, Robin Williams. Wow. The pair had matching tattoos. They went on comedy tours together in the early 80s. Okay, you're blowing my <laughs> fucking mind right now. Think about how much cocaine. That's what I... <laughs> Like, I'm on tour with Robin Williams in 1982. Gosh, dude. <laughs> so before we get into that, that just brings up something. Bobcat in this episode plays a, I'm swinging a, gl- a, a can of juice around. just like <laughs> gesturing like D from. Around a lot of electric equipment. <laughs> <laughs> just freely moving it. So iconic stand-up Don Rickles. Yes. Comes from Queen, Queens, New York. Born in 1926, he did his time in World War II. God love him. And after that, he went to act like film school. Really? Yeah. But after some time, he kind of realized he was not like leading man potential. So he started doing comedy. He really became known as an insult comic when he responded to people who would heckle him. Man. And the audience enjoyed the insults more than they ever liked any of his other jokes yeah so he leaned in yes he did (laughs) and boy did he lean in hard so while working at murray franklin's nightclub in miami beach florida rickles spotted frank sinatra in the crowd oh my gosh i'm nervous and he says i just saw your movie the pride and the passion and i wanted to tell you that canon was so good (laughs) (laughs) he said i don't know frank come on come on make yourself at home uh, Frank, go ahead and hit somebody. Don't make it <laughs> Sinatra was tickled pink and brought all his celebrity friends to come see Don Rickles. So Don Rickles is one of my favorite comedians. And I know I've played it off as a, I didn't know who he was, but no, I fucking love Don Rickles because I think insult comedy is hilarious. I also think it's hilarious. I would never go to a show of an insult comic because if they made a joke about me, I would cry <laughs> and like slink out as quickly as possible but i love them in theory yeah don rickles man and like no one else would probably get away with that without being funny you couldn't say that to frank sinatra right like frank sinatra had people like beat up for looking at him wrong man but he loved don rickles so it was because of like frank sinatra's support but also like deep the the rat pack you know dean yeah d martin sammy Sammy davis Davis jr that brought Don Rickles to Vegas. And he was really like a headliner in Vegas for years and years and years. He's never been a showgirl. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> headliner. Headliner. Uh, but also Don Rickles over the years, like throughout the seventies and eighties, 
Don Rickles was on every TV show that you could name. Oh, yeah. Like, he was all over the place. But today, 2022, probably knows him best as Mr. Potato Head from the Toy Story movie. Yes, man. <laughs> yes, we do. Don Rickles, man. A fucking treasure. Really funny. I appreciate it. Me and Patricia were like earlier talking about Don Rickles when I asked her to kind of look up all this information on these folks. And just like we were talking about some of his insult comedy and just the jokes themselves and how funnier it would be to reverse like whenever he says something about a woman to say it about a man. So we'll give you an example. Okay. So this is a classic Don Rickles joke. He says, oh, my husband, you know, he wants to go on a vacation. And I said, where do you want to go? And he goes, I want to go somewhere I've never been before. So I said, how about the kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I love jokes that are just mean. So we open the episode with the Crypt Keeper kind of giving us the lowdown. After our credits, we're introduced to the Crypt Keeper and his dummy, who he then hurls into the fire, which made me laugh <laughs> uproariously when I first saw this. And today. Yeah, seriously. I laughed the whole time. Ridiculous. The Crypt Keeper is just absolutely wild, and he's prepping us for the story of the ventriloquist dummy which opens with Mr. Ingalls, played by Don Rickles, performing his successful ventriloquist act. Very successful. Like, this is a packed house. Yeah, seriously. I've never seen anyone, like, go to the a ventriloquist act, but <laughs> no. Mr. Ingalls is killing it. He's cracking his rude, nasty jokes, his insult comedy that he's kind of, uh, well, Don Rickles is what he's known for. And then we see a kid in the audience cracking his ass up. No we, one is laughing harder than this kid is laughing no, at John absolutely. Rickles with his dummy. If I was a kid in a show where this guy's just being really mean and saying hilarious stuff that I would never hear otherwise, yeah. One thing I would like to note about this scene is the servers in the comedy club or wherever they're at are dressed like Sailor Moon. Oh, I noticed that too. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for pointing out. Now I'm not going to forget it. Mr. Ingalls is on stage with his dummy Morty performing his most crudest act. And he's like hitting on women. Really gross stuff. Yeah. And for my money, not very funny. No. Backstage after the show, a young Billy Goldman, the kid in the audience who was cracking his ass up, receives an autograph and some friendly advice from Mr. Ingalls. Billy wants to grow up to be a ventriloquist, just like Mr. Ingalls. Yeah. His mother's like, no, he's not doing that. He's going to be a doctor. I do think that if you're like looking for successful, quote unquote, careers a doctor is going to be more successful than a ventriloquist ventriloquist i will disagree with you but we'll <laughs> leave it at that okay something else i think it's funny is like since this is like a flashback moment they've gone through efforts to make don rickles look younger dying his hair and they have <laughs> well also they have like so much makeup on him true he like, does and we're watching a bootleg copy of this like they have so much makeup on don rickles that is so true I mean, listen, I think this mom is doing okay. Like, she brought the kid to come see him. Yeah, she... She's like, this is fine, but you're going to be a doctor. Yeah. So... Have fun now. know that. The next scene, we have a beautiful young woman, who I believe was the showgirl from earlier, enter Mr. Ingalls' dressing room. She asks the ventriloquist if he would go out with her for the night and have some fun. I believe this might also be his girlfriend. It kind I of think this like, is like an established relationship. She, yeah. She comes in, she's like, you ready to go? Let's go. And she's dressed, she's got a fancy orange dress on. The big bow huge, on the shoulder. Uh, like jewelry on, diamonds. Like, so I do think this is an established relationship. Yeah. Mr. Engel declines on going out. However, his 
puppet Morty interrupts and is like, nah, we're going out, babe. We'll see you in a second, essentially. Yeah. yeah. That's weird. That is weird. As the girlfriend, I would be like, dude, why are you doing that right now? Like, I just, if you are with a person who's a ventriloquist, you are already so cool. And like, <laughs> things. let's not, but you know, there it, might be cool ventriloquists out there. Let's not like. Sure. But then if like, you're right, you're, you're 100% right. However, if you're like off the clock, and the dummy is answering questions for this person you're supposed to have a relationship with. Red flag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the next scene, we have young Billy back at home in his PJs admiring his photo that he got from Mr. Ingalls. When he then notices a blaze out through his window, a huge fire that he sees from downtown. We then get a time jump to 15 years later. I love a time jump. Yeah. You know, really progresses the story. Exactly. We get a... Older Billy, played by Bobcat Goldthwait this time. With a long flowing ponytail. He has grown up to be a pretty goofy ventriloquist himself. He's pulled up to what is Mr. Ingalls' cabin in the woods, I assume, with his dummy. Like somehow found this man who is a recluse. Very clearly does not want people in because there's like newspaper on the window saying, do not come in this motherfucker. Definitely. There is no welcome mat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> would you go to someone's house who you're like man i really like this person i want to talk to them Bitch, i wouldn't go to your house without texting <laughs> <laughs> i would never just show up in somebody's house are you kidding no absolutely not you can kind of tell like billy is kind of a meek person because he's like practicing what he's going to say yeah, to his he's, idol he's super which nervous, yeah. yeah i mean if you idolize somebody it's probably really yeah. hard to like figure out what you're going to say yeah. to him without feeling like a complete yeah. and total idiot yeah i get it so he gets it to the door, he knocks, and he goes into the house where he... So so what happens is Mr. Ingalls comes to the door, and he's like, go away, go away. Like, he does not want to receive any guests. But Billy tells him that he is not leaving unless he speaks to him. Yeah, so why, holds right? him hostage and is like, I am not leaving this front stoop until you talk to me, sir. That is creepy and scary. And so for that, I think Ingalls is finally like, okay, fuck, fine, come in. Yeah, so he lets him in. Billy, being a huge fan of him when he was younger, rekindles memories of the night that he met Mr. Ingalls. Which was the last night Mr. Ingalls performed. Which is very, like, probably ingrained in, you know, in his yeah. head. So yeah. he probably remembers the kid. I would yeah. think that, like, if that was the night, like, all terrible shit happened to me. Yeah. Spoiler alert. He burned down the theater, killed his girlfriend, and lost his hand. Yeah, his career never performed again. Yeah. That was the end-all be-all of everything that was Mr. Ingalls. Kind of put him in a spiral, and this is why he's now a recluse. Right. Which, I mean, checks out. Like, (laughs) if I had been through a tragedy, I probably wouldn't want to go back on stage. You sure? Like, if for some reason you and I had, like, some weird thing happen with the podcast, you wouldn't go back on? I think a podcast is so much different than being a ventriloquist performer. Like, I record this in my house in my pajamas. A ventriloquist has to like go on a stage. I mean, you're thinking of ventriloquism <laughs> at this time. Yeah, we're in that's 2021. Good point, good point. Two, actually. Mr. Ingalls wants no part of what the hell Billy's saying. He's like, yeah. dude, I don't care. Blah, 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 blah. You're bringing up some stuff that is really traumatic to me. My hand, my life, everything's been ruined because of this. Uh, Billy is so excited to see his idol. And he's like looking around and he actually sees like a case hanging above. And he guesses that it's actually morty his old it has like a morty sticker on it yeah so he goes to kind of like take it down 
And then this is kind of like where Mr. Ingalls is like, dude, you need to stop touching shit that doesn't belong to you. Get away from it. Stop being nosy. And he's so right. Like Mr. Ingalls is totally within his right, but he gets in Billy's face and he's like, don't touch that. What do you want? What are you doing? Like, yeah, like he's over this. Billy then decides to uh, come clean about why he's there. He invites Mr. Ingalls to his amateur night performance. He really wants Mr. Ingalls opinion on his ventriloquist act because he really cares about his opinion because he's the best of the best. Like, here's the thing though, man. Open mic night. Don't invite anyone to your obit my night. Like, it's not going to be good. No, but it is the same stage that this man performed at. He's also giving you clues, context clues, that this was traumatic for him. Yep. Why would you invite me to a yep. place where some serious shit went down that I don't want to see? Exactly. And, like, Billy leaves and he's ready to, like, throw a fit about it. But Yeah, Mr. Ingalls then kind of, like, reluctantly agrees to, like, go. He tells him he'll think about it. Right. Which is more than I would say. Me too. And Billy kind of like walks off feeling a lot happier. And there's this like really nice piano music playing that's very touching. (laughs) As he leaves, Mr. Ingalls asks Morty what he thinks about him, which is kind of weird. Don't love that. Yeah, let's not talk to our dummies. Don't love that. The next scene is at the amateur night. And boy, is that bitch wild. (laughs) People are drunk. Like they are rowdy, uproarious. And just causing a scene. Literally, it's a rough crowd. There's some lady on stage twirling batons singing Camp Town Lady. Was she singing Camp Town Lady? She was indeed, yeah. Or at least in the tune of it. I don't mm-hmm. know if the lyrics were the same. I think it was. I think Camp Town Lady is public domain. Okay, that mm-hmm. would make sense. Mm-hmm. She was killing it, though. I mean... She was doing okay. I wouldn't say she's killing it. All right, pause this so you can do some <laughs> baton twirling right now. We'll see who's doing okay. Okay, I just think that the baton twirling done in Drop Dead Gorgeous is better. Fair point. <laughs> uh, Billy's backstage and he looks out into the audience and he gets a glimpse of Mr. Ingalls walking in. Mr. Ingalls is fucking nice. He came in in a suit, bro. Like, I would have came up. in. I would came in sweatpants and a t-shirt. <laughs> so this obviously makes Billy even more nervous. And he if, was already, spoiler alert, he was already there. Yeah, he nervous. was sweating like a motherfucker. He doesn't even know he's doing, like where to go. <laughs> so the MC pushes him out on stage so he can begin his act. And I put quotations around act on that because Billy bombs. He can't get a single joke out. Billy bombs hard, which I don't know if you've ever been doing something and bomb. I mean, this podcast might be a bomb for all I know, but (laughs) bombing in front of an audience. I can tell you this. I have worked a rough room before. (laughs) (laughs) Like I used to run events and I have made unpopular announcements at those events yes. where people want to hurt you. <laughs> yes. So I felt that feeling, but I've never never bombed like Billy Christ. And all these people are drunk, so you don't know what they're going to do. So Oh, uh, literally, audience members are like, bring out the girl with the tits! The tits. <laughs> Get off the stage, loser! Boo! They are Boo. booing! There's a lot of boos. Which is hilarious yeah. to me. Like to, I mean, I shouldn't laugh at Billy's misfortune, but to get booed so hard, like it's the Apollo. Here's a secret, listeners. If you want to make Brandon laugh, just boo something. <laughs> He'll laugh right away. I actually do laugh anytime, yeah. like if something gets booed. You do. You're a sucker. Um, it's very immature. That's a running thing with me. Mr. Ingalls watches the act just like sink. Mr. Ingalls walks off after initially kind of encouraging Billy from the crowd to do a better job. Billy obviously flounders it and can't go on. He's a sweaty mess. Been there. Sweaty mess. We then get a scene where a sex worker 
is walking in a bar and hits on Mr. Ingalls, who's sitting at the bar by himself, kind of sulking. She is quite nice to him. Yeah. 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 She's right away. She's like, hey, want to buy me a drink? Yeah. And she's very pretty. This is me. She has your ideal hair. Yeah, she does have my dream hair. So the people sitting next to him, this is really kind of a... This is Richard Donner and Don Rickles' daughter, Mindy Rickles, in that scene where they kiss. Where they're kissing? Yeah, weird, right? So anyways, that sex worker moves to the end of the bar, sits by herself, when Billy approaches Mr. Ingalls at the bar. Because I think this bar is like the upper level of the place that's housing the open mic night. Absolutely. Billy asks Mr. Ingalls what he thinks, and Mr. Ingalls doesn't really hold back. He's brutally honest with him. He lets him know that you don't know how to control a crowd. This probably isn't the business for you. Stop it. Like, Like, Billy, you had no connection with the audience. It was not successful. It's heartbreaking, especially to hear that from your idol. But that's also, I think it's better to be honest than to lie. Girl. Like, better than Mr. Ingalls being like, oh, yeah, it was great. You should do this more often. Like, that's just not, I don't know. I think better to lie. Or better to be honest. No, I agree with you on that. Mr. Ingalls even apologizes to him a little bit. And is like, hey, I'm sorry. Like, it's whatever. It's really heartbreaking as uh, Billy walks off. Mr. Mr. Ingalls sits at the bar, kind of looks down, and wants to get his D wet when he sees that sex worker eyeing him down. Yeah, she's giving him big eyes. What's up? Billy, devastated, leaves and is walking the alley with his dummy and is crying throws this motherfucker against a garbage can and is just like calling himself stupid when he hears like a scream that's like really piercing. Yeah, blood curling scream. When he takes off running to the direction of the scream, which to me is a weird thing to do. But there's a crowd surrounding a car where that woman who was with Mr. Ingalls last has her throat slit and is dead in a car. So he's injecting morphine into his arm uh, that was injured in the fire 15 years prior. Right. Billy grabs Mr. Ingalls and slams him against the wall and is yelling at his face, accusing him of murdering this woman and saying that he smells like gasoline. He's drunk. You were the last person with her. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Billy is being very forthright. Yeah, he's pissed. He's probably taking out all the aggression for all that mean shit you said to him. But like, Billy, are you a cop? (laughs) (laughs) Truly and honestly, who the fuck are you, Billy? You get the fuck out of my house. He's also fucked up my morphine. And that was my good morphine, (laughs) asshole. You think it's easy to get fucking morphine? (laughs) As Mr. Ingalls is up against the wall, Billy is just questioning him and questioning him when Mr. Ingalls finally says that Morty, the ventriloquist dummy, is the one who's responsible for everything. He killed the woman. He hates women. This stuns Billy. Billy's confused. He thinks Mr. Ingalls is crazy because he's talking about an inanimate object that is killing people. Right. Right. I'm going to say... This is terrifying on so many levels for Billy. Yes. Because this man who has just murdered somebody that you know of is now pushing blame on someone who is not alive. Yeah, it's kind of like best case scenario, you're dealing with someone who's had a serious mental break. Yeah. Like no matter what, however the rest of this night goes, it is not good. We're in distinctly not good territory. Yeah, I'm not saying that like, you should run, Billy, but you should get the fuck out of there right now. Billy, on the other hand, is like trying to offer help to Mr. Ingalls and is like, Mr. Ingalls, there are ways that we can help you out. Because he's really thinking mm-hmm. this poor old man yeah. has been triggered by some stuff yeah. because I took him to like exactly to the place where his entire life was ruined. One million percent. 
Mr. Ingalls hears all this that Billy's saying is like, dude, you need to be afraid. You need to leave. You need need to take this warning. Get out of here. Morty's going to kill you. And if I were Billy and Mr. Ingalls is talking to like a third, fourth person, I don't even know what that is because Morty isn't like. Thanks so much, Mr. Ingalls. Have a nice night. Yeah. I am scurrying straight out of there. Billy, why are you running to somebody's house who just murdered somebody without a weapon? Right. Even if it's like a quote unquote old man, like. That has nothing to do with you. Call people whose jobs it is to deal with this. It is not the ventriloquist, the amateur ventriloquist job. Billy doesn't think so. He thinks it is on him. He has the onus to do this. So he starts, he's like, Mr. Ingalls, I'm going to show you that Morty is not real. He goes into this man's possessions, opens the trunk that the Mr. Ingalls told him when he was in the quote unquote right mind not to touch. (laughs) Right. And he's just like pulling shit out, talking about, oh, don't worry. He's an inanimate, inanimate object. He's not real. There's nothing to worry about. When we see that Mr. Ingalls has grabbed a cleaver and a is slowly approaching. And he's coming up right behind Billy as Billy goes through Morty's, Morty's showcase. Mr. Ingalls then slams the cleaver on the chest millimeters away from hitting Billy. Yep. Mr. Ingalls then is telling Billy... That Morty is not what he thinks he is. He reveals that Morty is his twin brother. He didn't lose his hand. Morty is attached to him. And then he pulls off this black bag that's been on his hand this entire time to reveal the most grotesque looking thing I've ever seen. The most terrifying puppet that I've ever seen. That to this day, like I haven't watched this episode in probably 30 some odd years. But I remember what that puppet looked like because it was ingrained in my brain as a kid. And I was terrified of this. And the puppetry of it's like moving around, looking all freaky and shit is wildly terrifying. So listeners, um, I had not seen this episode until we did it for the show. I did not anticipate this direction for the rest of this episode. Like as, as we're... As I'm watching this episode, and I'm like, oh, old man's uh, old man's killing people. And my brain goes to the Buffy episode about a ventriloquist, where it turns out the, the puppet is alive. And so that's kind of where I thought this episode was going to go. But instead, when there's the reveal of the mutant, deformed baby that's just a head that's growing out of Don Rickles' arm... <laughs> That is not where I saw the episode going, and it was shocking. Yeah, it really threw me as a kid, and to this day. And I am telling you, Kevin Yeager is a genius, because that thing is terrifying. It's terrifying. It has a creepy voice. It's just, it's unsettling, to say the least. Mr. Ingalls reveals that the morphine has been keeping his brother Morty drugged up for years. And that's how he's been able to keep him under control, but he can't control him anymore. Because you... Fuck with the morphine, Billy, you stupid piece of shit. Plus him coming there, just fucking up stuff, taking him to places. Yeah. That reawakened Morty's lust for women. His murderous rage towards women. I also want to know why Morty hates women. Because Morty kind of like says later that he could never like have the women that his brother has. That's not women's fault. It's not, right? (laughs) I like to think since watching The Shining... Um, Morty is more so kind of a thought about like toxic masculinity yes. yeah, more yeah, so yeah. than it is a demon on your hand. Right. So Morty is the reason why 
both these women died. Yep. The sex worker in the car and, and the, the woman. The fire. Yeah, yeah, in the beginning. He we learned that Mr. Ingalls actually set the fire to try to cover up the crime. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So as Mr. Ingalls is approaching Billy. Morty is chanting, kill him, kill him all the entire time as he's slowly approaching him. Yeah, man. And then Morty is like talking about how he's the star of the show, how it's so hard being the funny one and that Mr. Ingalls is the straight man and just like ruining pretty much his vibe. He's like, you are such a fucking buzzkill. I'm the star here. You're just holding me back. And Mr. Ingalls is tired of it. He takes the cleaver as both Morty is and Billy are pinned to the ground and chops his hand off, which it is Morty's shocking. body, essentially. Shocking. He he doesn't even chop. He hacks. He hacks. There's several, there's several swings. Yes. Mr. Ingalls thinks he's finally free. However, he, he doesn't realize he didn't kill Morty, which I don't understand why you didn't chop at the head or somewhere like that. I think we've got to let go of all sort of reason here. I guess, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't try to make nonsense or sense out of nonsense because that's what it is here. So Morty has actually gotten free and is like mobile. Yeah. He's across the room where Mr. Ingalls is on the ground kind of recovering from chopping, his, hacking uh, his hand, hand off. off. When he and Billy are talking and Morty runs up and attacks Mr. Ingalls and rips his throat out. Yeah, his jugular goes right for the jugular. Which is terrifying. Mr. Ingalls is dead. No more Mr. Ingalls. I thought he would be like the hero of the story. Nope. Billy has had enough and is like, I'm going to fight back. So he grabs a Louisville slugger, Carrie Underwood's it, and is beating the (laughs) shit out of Mr. Ingalls' house, trying to get at Morty. Morty is hiding behind. Everything. Yeah. Morty gets the better of Billy the whole, like, for several moments he's weirdly fast which is even scarier about he this little no thing legs. how is he moving around girl it's, don't tell he's me got to spend reality he gets on mr ingles self and kind of taunts billy billy swings the bat and actually knocks mr ingles corpse <laughs> over which is fucked up but then billy plays it smart and as morty is on like a creaky board kicks it up like a fucking carnival gang and hits <laughs> morty across the room into a meat grinder ass first <laughs> Billy takes the opportunity while Morty's like immobilized in the meat grinder to start grinding him up as Morty is pleading for his life. He's like, please, please, I'll do anything. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. And Billy's like, no, fuck you. You're gross. I'm going to make an ass casserole. Or what did he say? He says, it's time to make an asshole casserole. An asshole casserole. I love it. Um, And Morty's like, I will literally do anything. Please, please. When Billy gets an idea, instead of killing this demon that just murdered somebody and multiple people are, Actually, the thing that it's lived off of for 80 fucking years. I'm telling you, the next scene, we see that Billy is holding Morty and his dummy side by side and in putting Morty inside the dummy to act as the dummy for the act. Right. Because so now Billy is going to be the same type of good ventriloquist that Mr. Ingalls was because you got Morty and Morty's the he brain. He wants to start him, yeah, girl. Yeah, gotta be the star. He wants what's going on. And then Morty cannot change his ways. He sees a beautiful woman in the audience and begins catcalling her, saying yep. some really messed up stuff, talking Real about her titties. Shit. Yeah. And Billy's like, that's not part of the deal, dude. We did not talk about doing this. He said, if you got top billing, you said you wouldn't mess with women anymore. <laughs> you got top billing. Yeah. <laughs> Morty and Billy, I'm sure that's what it is. And then that's when Morty reveals, he's like, sorry to be the bear of bad news, bro, but that's not part of the deal. Nah. And then we see Billy wincing in pain and begins screaming and yelling. 
And then he rips off the dummy that it's hands. And we find out that Morty is beginning to fuse with Billy's yep. hand. That is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> People were freaked out and are leaving the audience. Rightfully so. I would have left once he started like screaming and yeah. shit. I'm like this dude's got some wild things going on. <laughs> Morty says, try to scratch your ass now, buster. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like we're stuck with each other. And then the scene fades back into the crypt where we see that the crypt keeper is lovingly playing with his burnt up vagina. With his charred ass dummy. We get some lovely puns from the crypt keeper. He says, what do you say, folks? Billy deserves a big hand. (laughs) Don't you think? Which is one of my personal favorites. And then he goes, sheesh. The things some folks would do to get ahead in the show. (laughs) (laughs) After the puns, the Crypt Keeper cackles, and then we get the scene of the camera panning out of the Crypt Keeper's dungeonous house and the iconic music, and Love the it. show ends. Love it. Tight half hour, by the way. Love that. Yes! Love it's that. only a half hour. Love that. I was shocked. Me too. The amount of story that they told in a half they hour. So, they, yeah, they got as much as Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark. Well, well done. That's hard to do to get Mama. a story out in 30 minutes. I'm telling you. I mean, HBO does have, again, the benefit, no commercials. So you got a little bit more time. Truly and honestly. Yeah. And you have no barriers. Yeah. So obviously, Tales from the Crypt was a huge success for HBO. For sure. I mean, we still talk about today. I'm doing an episode on it. There's so much shit that went on with with Tales from the Crypt from HBO. It was initially only pitched to be three seasons. Mm -hmm. But because it was so popular, they ended up extending it until seven. Wow. Yeah. Nearly 100 episodes. Wow. And as I was saying earlier, the breakout star was the Crypt Keeper. He was the only recurring character, but like audiences loved the creepiness of it, the jokes, just everything about him. Yep. John Casser was synonymous with the series. Mm -hmm. He was actually featured on the late shows of the day, like Jay Leno. I remember Crypt Keeper being on Dave Letterman. Crypt Keeper was on there. Mm -hmm. And so he did that. He would call into radio shows to promote the series. Sure. with every new season, I think he would do like 50, 60 radio interviews at a time. I bet. Um, one of the more famous ones was on Howard Stern. I was going to say Howard Stern, yep. It's so wild to me. Since that was such a big show for HBO and like really put it on the map, it was one of the shows that was really putting a map. For sure. It created or helped create the tagline, it's not TV, it's HBO. Oh, cool. So the commercial at the time had... Clips from Tales from the Crypt because it was so just outlandish, gory, everything like that, as well as some other shows at the time. And then that person said, wow, that's not TV. And someone else said, no, it's HBO. That's fun. So that's kind of how that came about. I love that. And I feel like that's one of the more iconic, like, taglines for a TV series. Big agree. Yeah, right? Big agree. And that legacy of just being able to do whatever because it is HBO and there weren't really many rules in terms of like profanity, sexuality, and all the other stuff. No real guidelines. It drew big stars. Yes, it did. Big stars wanted to be a part of the action that was Tales from the Crypt. So with the huge success that Tales from the Crypt was and everyone knowing that there weren't really any guidelines in what you can do on HBO in terms of like profanity, language, Everybody loves sex, noodles. violence, gore, and everything like that, it drew big names both in the acting field as well as for directing. Yep. So a lot of times HBO was known for taking really famous actors on the show, but type cat or excuse me, but playing them against what they are normally tight. 100%. As. So they would play a 180 degree version of who they were in a lot that. of episodes, which was really great. A lot of actors like that. Yes. They didn't they get do. to that. 
some of the more famous actors who are part of the series. Um, you may know Bill Paxton, one of my favorites. Sure do. John Lithgow, wow. Arnold Schwarzenegger, of wow. course, Bobcat Goldthwait, Brad Pitt, Holy shit. Uh, Meatloaf, Michael J. Fox, Slash from Guns N' Roses, <laughs> Tom Hanks, just oh. a lot of different fucking people. John Stamos was famously on there. Yep. A lot of the actors also would direct episodes too. This sure. is where a lot of actors who had never directed before or weren't really known for directing got their directing uh, debuts. Whoa. Arnold Schwarzenegger directed a season two episode. Whoa. He, uh, it was titled The Switched. Oh, excuse me. It was titled The Switch. He was paid scale uh -huh. for directors for yeah. doing the series, which yeah. is only $15,000. Yeah. But he was quoted as saying it was one of the greatest joys I've ever had in the movie business. Wow. He really enjoyed it. This was so smart of HBO. Yes, man. Because you bring in these big talents and you say, y'all can do whatever you want. You want to direct? I got a spot for you to direct. You come Mama. to Tales from the Crypt. And then you create these relationships. Mama. That's so smart. HBO is really smart. Michael J. Fox directed. Yeah. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, Bob Hoskins. Yeah. They were in episodes and things like that, which is really, just really wild. Well, plus you already, you have these big directors coming in and those big directors are going to have relationships. Like oh yeah. Richard Donner is going to come on. And if Richard Donner's directing, it's going to be easier to get Christopher Reeves to come on because he's going to come on to work with Richard Donner because they worked together before. So it was really smart. This is really smart TV making. I'm see I'm saying, dude, like it's, remarkable how many people had been on episodes of that like you look at him like i can't believe that <laughs> demi moore you and mcgregor you Whoa. said bob hoskins which made me think of like roger rabbit like yeah. that connection right yeah, there that, see that's what i mean like, yeah when you bring in these big connect big directors it's going to be so much easier to get big actors because they want to work with those directors absolutely or they already have worked with those directors and Everybody is watching this show now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? HBO is just like taking off. Mm -hmm. And so the creators and producers of Tales from Crypt were like, how can we make more money off of this? Mm -hmm. And the brilliant minds over there decided syndication. We need yes, that money. obviously. But let me tell you something, girl. They were thinking about this before the show was even a success. They filmed multiple endings and scenes for each episode so that it could be aired on syndication. They were already oh, thinking that smart. shit. Wow. So like all the syndication episodes, which started off on Fox and I think moved to CBS and were even on sci-fi at a time. Yeah, I remember them on sci-fi. Yeah, right? I remember mm -hmm. on sci-fi too. They have their own episodes that were still maintained the story and nothing was lost, but it cut out all the like the stuff that HBO right. was known for. Right, they had to make for. it more basic cable ready. Exactly. However, this is great for HBO as well because they tagged their show HBO's Tales from, from Crypt, Crypt yeah. which then puts in people's minds like, oh, this one is not edited. This right. is unedited. Right. And so then people would then watch like the syndication and be like, oh, I want the unedited versions. Right. Like, and then subscribe to HBO. Right. Genius. And plus, if you even think of like big picture like this, okay. So Robert Zemeckis is in with HBO making Tales of the Crypt in the 80s, early 90s, right? Yeah. So then when Robert Zemeckis makes Forrest Gump, HBO is going to buy the syndication rights to eight, to Forrest Gump. Girl. It's going to play Forrest Gump 24 hours a day for four months straight. Which actually happened because I know I watched That's it. exactly what happened. And then when it comes time to make a mini series on HBO, HBO is going to go back to Robert Zemeckis, back to their old friend Tom Hanks. And they're going to say, Tom, do you want to come be in this mini series? Like, it's the a relationship building. It's very, very smart. It's wild. Yeah. HBO, sponsor us. No, I'm just kidding. Literally, man. 
So with the success of syndication, they decided to go into movies. They planned a trilogy of movies. No kidding. Yes, yes, yes. So in 1995, the first feature-length film, Tales from the Crypt, presents Demon Knight, which is one of my favorite movies. Stop. Not even joking. Starring Jada Pinkett Smith. Whoa. And Billy Zane. Whoa. Listen to your friend Billy Zane. Yeah, dude. It's a fun movie. We are definitely going to do an episode I, on it. I've never seen it. We got to watch oh, it. Oh, you're going to love it. I'm I want you to watch it like after this episode. Okay. We got to find it for you. But there are so many great things about this movie. I, I mean, it. they were actually critically panned. It was critically course, panned yeah. at the time. I fucking Well, even it. like if we're talking about like critical reception, like these episodes are not any, like these are not dramatic works of art. Like this no. is tongue in cheek, camp, over the top horror. So it's never, like, critics are never going to like this. Um, it was followed by a 1996 movie, Tales from the Crypt, Bordello of Blood, starring Dennis Miller. I don't like that movie personally as much as Demon Knight. It's about vampires. I believe it, I have seen Bordello of Blood. Really? You've seen I that have. one? Dennis Miller, this is, yeah, with vampires. There's something fuzzy going on that I'm trying to remember. Yeah, uh, it's not my favorite of the two. Again, also critically panned. Of course. So it didn't really do too well, like, either movies. Did these come out in theaters, or were these, like, direct to HBO? These were theater movies. Okay, cool. Yeah. There were so many what-ifs in terms of, like, the trilogy of movies from Tales from the Crypt. The third movie was up in the air a lot. They never really, really came to a point where they had an idea for the third movie, because the first two did so bad. I think Robert Rodriguez's From Dust Till Dawn was considered to be a, as a sequel to Demon Knight at one point. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. When you talked about theater, when you talked about theater releases, my first thought was From Dust Till Dawn, which I, even until we're talking today, thought it was a Tales of the Crypt movie. Yeah, it was supposed to be initially, but then like a disagreement among the producers, Rodriguez, Zemeckis, and Quentin Tarantino forced it to go to Miramax. Yeah, there's a lot of complicated egos involved there. Uh, one of your personal favorite movies, I also know this, Frighteners. I do love Frighteners. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, was supposed to be a Tales from the Crypt movie. Which also checks out. Yeah. Zemeckis read it. And he was like, this is so great. However, I want this to be a standalone movie. So he got Peter Jackson involved and with it. Peter that. Jackson ran. It's a good movie. That's a, I know. It's one of my one. favorites. I haven't seen it in a long time. I we should either. watch it. We soon. should. Yeah. Michael J. Fox in that, right? Yeah. See? America. These relationships. America, man. It's wild. Um, there was also talks of like two other movies. There was going to be a New Orleans zombie movie uh, titled Fat Tuesday. That's a great idea. Uh, but that never came out. And a slasher movie kind of called like Body Count never made it out of basic production as well. You know, Robert Zemeckis has a lot of these like banded, abandoned vehicles. Like remember in our Phil Hartman episode, Phil Hartman was trying to make a movie with Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. That also like failed to take off. That's wild. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of deals oh, that just I, like for various reasons that make that happen. I am sure for every one project we see, there are 20 projects that never get off the ground. I'm sure. The creators and producers of Tales from Crypt still ran with the idea, even though the movies didn't do well. They decided to make an animated TV series. See, that's where my brain would have gone right away. A kid's G-rated version of it. John Caster still did the voice. I think it was on CBS Morning Cartoons. Yeah, I remember seeing it, but I never watched it. I definitely watched it. Oh, did you really? Yeah, because it was watered down kid version. I'm like, yay! Yeah, and it deal, <laughs> dealt with stuff like bullying still, and yeah, other things, but not it. as like sex and things like that. Right. 
Um, it only lasted two seasons. It wasn't as popular as no. the series, obviously. There was also a fucking game show, Patricia. It was based on Tales from a Crypt. It was very Legends of the Hidden Temple, the clips oh. that I saw. It's like teams of two doing things. Uh, John Caster and the puppet of sure. the Crypt Keeper were there. Were they the hosts of the game no, show? No, but they were like, Crypt Keeper was there making fun of the kids at certain oh, points. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd never watched it, but it, that was a thing. And then also, there were several albums. Wow. Yes. The soundtrack. John Kazer ain't never seen a paycheck he didn't want to cash. Girl. He was like, what do we got? I'll make an album. I, I'll make an album today. That's why he ain't doing that much now. <laughs> Shit. He's like, I got money, honey. That on that hog. Good for him. I'm only jealous. Yeah. So several albums, actually. A soundtrack album for just all the great stuff sure. that was Tales from the Crypt. A heavy metal album inspired by Tales from the Crypt. So it was like heavy metal artists playing with like vignettes of the Crypt Keeper talking in between. Oh, cool. Which is cool. Yeah. And then they also had a Christmas album. Now we are talking my language. I love it. Have yourself a, a scary, scary little Christmas <laughs> in 1994. Um, just one of the tracks was called Deck the Halls with Parts of Charlie. <laughs> so John Casser, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, his yeah. father was a surgeon. Oh, cool. Very supportive dad. Oh, that's nice. He would actually play the Christmas album while he was performing surgeries Stop. on people. Yeah, that's sort of which is kind of creepy, but and sweet at the same time. So with all the success, the final season of Tales from the Crypt actually moved across the pond oh, to England. Interesting. We have a lot of listeners in England and Scotland. Yeah. If you are those people, thank you shout so us much. out. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We were shocked. Like, we were looking at our analytics and we're like, there are people in Scotland listening to this? Man, I was shocked. You should send us an email. We would love to know more about you. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> thank you again thank you so much for listening everybody a lot of people thought that when it moved across the pond i don't know why i keep saying that but that's it's fun to say yeah they thought it was because budgetary reasons and restraints but that is not the case the creators and producers felt that a change of scenery would give more ideas to the show as well as more actors available so that's how top oh excuse me that's how bob hoskins and ewan mcgregor became a part of it because once they moved across they were able to get them because they didn't live in america at the time you know what i mean great idea yeah i would never think that moving to england is cheaper (laughs) i never would have thought that either right and at one point there was talks of a reboot of course yeah m night Shyamalan was kind of the person involved in that it was going to be a series on tnt However, the Crypt Keeper would not be involved because it was an HBO property. Right. So it was just going to be like an anthology series minus the Crypt Keeper. But it never really came into fruition. No one knows why that happened. I'm just glad it didn't happen. I kind of am too, dude. Don't mess up a good thing for us. I don't trust M. Night with, with adaptations. He can't be trusted. He fucks it all up. Ong. Oh, man. Don't, don't do that. Still bad. It's still bad. Thank you all for tuning in. If you have any questions, suggestions, or embarrassing confessions, or you're from overseas and you want to reach out, send us an email at thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. Again, that's thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at thewaybackrecappod. And if you'd like to support the show and or listen to bonus content or exclusive episodes, please visit our Patreon page. Our original cover art is by Laura Strobish. Remember, wherever you listen to podcasts, follow or subscribe to the Wayback Recap. If you enjoyed yourself, please rate and review the show. Five stars. But if that's too much... We totally get it. Tell a friend. Preferably a responsible friend who will rate and review the show. Five stars. And join us next time. I'm Brandon. 
And I'm Patricia. And on behalf of the Wayback Recap, take, take care, care of each other, y'all. y'all.